Hello, hello. Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum and a proud member of the Drum Click Podcast Network. Today's guest is one of my favorite people, Scott McPherson. Scott is the founder and owner of Tackle Instrument Supply Company and was actually one of our first guests ever on the podcast back when we had a different name and a different slash no format. I did a series of episodes I called Behind the Company, and so I brought Scott in the show to talk about Tackle. So please go check that out if you want. We don't really number our episodes, but I believe it was number 12. Anyways, in that conversation, we only scratched the surface of Scott's amazing drumming career as he mainly focused on his business. But Scott's played with Sensefield, M. Ward, She and Him, Beck, Elliot Smith, and many more. He's got great taste in writing drum parts and is extremely humble. I love this guy and it was so good to catch up with him. So please enjoy my conversation with Scott about the influences that made him into the drummer he is today. Cheers. I'm here with Scott McPherson. If you guys don't already know that from the intro, uh, how's it going today, man? Pretty good so far. Now that we're <laughs> we got this going, I know. Yeah, we've actually been online for about three hours trying to figure out <laughs> tech stuff. But uh, <laughs> so we chatted a few days ago on the phone about how hard it's pin, how hard it is to pinpoint, you know, your answers for this because uh, as any as any sane person would admit, your tastes are always evolving and stuff, and so. How did you approach these answers, knowing that? Yeah, you know, I kind of, and the older you get, the more changes that happened. Yeah. So I was like, when was I sort of the most in, being influenced by by my surroundings, or what? You know, because I, I don't listen to a whole lot of music nowadays, but I did so much when I was younger. So uh, that's I kind of went back to those formative years. So it's kind of like a trip down memory lane, just trying to think like, what, you know, and there, and then, and then a couple of things just popped out. Like is very like, like for example, that smashing pumpkins album, Gish, it, when it came out, it, it just, it just like, there was just I, the band I was in at the time. I felt like oh, this, they're doing what we want to be doing. They're doing it so well. And I was like, ah, really receptive to what Jimmy Chamberlain was doing on the drum. I couldn't, I can't do it. I'm not as good as him, but he definitely like crept in and I was influenced by what he was doing. Yeah. Was, is, is the band you're referring to Sensefield? Yeah. Sensefield. Okay. Well, you know what, just to get going, I do want to play a song from Sensefield. Um, that is, I hope, <laughs> I hope it's you. I've been having a lot of bad luck with choosing the one song on the record where they're like, well, actually, that's the one off that it was actually Jake, blah, blah, blah. Um, so let me play played on that one. <laughs> exactly. So now, now I'm really nervous, but I'm going to play a song that I think the drums are awesome. Even if they're not you, I'm assuming, you know, you helped to build the vibe for this band. So here we go.
please tell me that's you, Scott. Yeah, that's me. That's okay. younger me with a lot of probably too many ideas. No, 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 no editing. <laughs> it sounds awesome. I mean, a it's very powerful. Uh, so, I mean, great job on that song. But the cool thing I liked it is liked about it is the first time I heard it. I mean, you you kind of know where the one is, but because you're doing that boo boo cat that you know the offbeat snare, you're kind of insecure. And if like, is this song way more complicated than I think it is? Yeah, you you. I mean, there's that decoder key. Once you got it, you're like, oh, okay. But the first, yeah, like there's a yes song that's like that where it's like, what the hell is he doing? And then you 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 figure it out, and you're like, okay, now I understand what the drummer's doing. But that song's not as complicated as as, as any of Bruford's stuff or anything. That, <laughs> well, so yeah what, what, how'd you get hooked up with Sensefield because that, that band is awesome if people don't know um, they're, you guys are way more influential than, um, than a lot of people realize you know my, like my drumming career is, is, is just a succession of the sort of like foolish pursuit of wanting to be a drummer and every time I enroll in college or try to get a job or something to, to be like okay it's time to like start to think about growing up and becoming a, an adult like everybody else, uh, a gig comes comes in out of nowhere. And that's what happened with Sensville. I had just come back from like living in Europe, riding a bicycle around and stuff. And I was like, okay, now I'm going to go to college. Grant, I'm probably going to go to community college. I'm going to try to get a, an AA degree. <laughs> so that's what I, I did, can... man. I went to Spokane <laughs> Falls. Yep. Community college. I, I love community college. Uh, then just a call comes in from... I, Sensefield, so I, I grew up in the South Bay, uh, Southern California, and um, they were a band called Reason to Believe in the and then in the late 80s, which, I, you know, by that time, I was kind of out of punk, but because I, I was in, into punk like my high school years, which I graduated in 85, then I kind of kind of moved on from punk and, you know, but Fugazi came on the scene and um they were just they just caught my attention because the drumming is um, just like so creative and so interesting the song it had punk but it had melody it was just and uh reason to believe was a kind of a just a straight ahead punk band really good they had a really good drummer he was like 17 years old i would and uh, so i'd seen him around and i was so i knew of the band i knew of john the singer and um there was a mutual friend. They needed a drama. They were starting Reason to Sensefield. They were breaking up Reason to Believe, and and so I got a call out of the blue, and and I really was like, don't do this. I'm trying to trying to get on the straight, and I'm trying to go to school. Don't try to. It was like a a, a drug addiction or something, <laughs> where it's like I'm trying to quit. It's not that I wanted to quit drumming. I just I just had nothing else. I, I have no other plans. So I was like, I need to like do what other people are doing where, you know, they, it seems like they can go into college and they're thinking about their future and I can't keep trying to pursue a career in drumming is it's really like a, a strangest thing. Cause you can't really pursue it. You have to just be, be there to open the door or answer the phone, but you have to be available. To, so you can't be too embedded into a, a job or school or anything like that, because you have to be able to say, yes, I'll go. And that's just what happens so many times where they're like, want to go on a tour? And it's like, shit, I just it re-enrolled in college. and But yeah, I'll go. Let's go. <laughs> that's so funny. That's, yeah. 
Well, it's and my my girlfriend's an actor, and it's I mean it's it's the joke. If you want to book a gig, plan something else. Like plan a vacation, book a vacation, and that's when you're going to get the gig. So it's it's kind of you put it into the universe that you didn't want to play drums, and that's why you were one of the most called guys. Um, you were with Sensefield Sensefield for what over ten years? No, I think it started in ninety one, uh, around ninety one to about ninety eight. Ninety eight. Okay. Well, just for the sake of time, we can move on to my next, uh, again, <laughs> recording that I hope is you. This one's a little more subdued. It doesn't matter if I were willing. It doesn't matter that the lights are turned down low. Oh, I know you have to go. Right, your face is making me think this might not be you. <laughs> no, that was me. Oh, it is. Okay, good, good. I was like, God dang it, Ben. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> so, by the way, I'm not sure if I said, but the first song was uh, Blue Glass Man uh, by Sensefield on the album Killed for Less. And this one that I just played is I Could Have Been Your Girl, uh, Volume 3 by She and Him, which is uh, M. Ward and Zoe Deschanel. So, yeah, what's, what's the backstory with, with playing with M. Ward? You know, part of why I left Sensefield is I love, I mean, I really love the time with Sensefield. I learned so much. But what happened is it, it really, like, scratched the itch for me as a drummer. I, I, you know, they they were encouraging. They It was a band. Uh, so I got to do pretty much whatever I wanted to. They they weren't big on, like, trying to control anything. So had a really good bass player who was also pretty busy he was really busy and um oh, and um so we we really kind of played off of each other and um so my sensual years like i feel like that was me like uh creating drum parts to songs uh but i had always had the perspective of of a drum i didn't appreciate songs from any other perspective than the drums. So I only like songs that that I like the drums in. I didn't really like like Dylan, uh, uh, Neil Young. I just didn't like music like that. But what happened is, I near the end of since I realized I didn't like the music I was playing. I didn't like those songs. I liked playing the drums to it, but I didn't like music. I didn't like. I didn't enjoy it the, to listen to that music, and I found that I was really enjoying listening to like mellow singer songwriter really this one band they were called ida i remember being on a tour with sensefield we got ida had no drums in it they were just really beautiful melodies and sparse and um that's sort of what where it was like i started to realize you know what i the music i like to listen to and connect to is 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 much less drummerly and not less interesting on the drum. So um, I became a fan of M. Ward's pretty big time around, what was it, around um, late 90s, early, to, about when he was coming on the scene in Portland. And I um, and I had moved there after touring with Elliot and 
had a lot of mutual friends, and I, I want I I felt like a, a connection with with Matt's music, and I ultimately it, it was one of those things where I, you know you can't go get that gig, but I I was became good friends with someone who played with him and produced some of his records, and he when it came time when a drummer seat opened up, uh, my friend Mike Kirkendall he he recommended me and and it just and so the question was about that record, right? It was just Working. like how I mean that record was supposed to represent your time with M Ward and she and him, and so it was more of just how you know you're answering the question how you, how you got hooked up with him and but if you want to talk about that record, please I mean, it's it's a great record. Well, you know, part of the like um, the research on those questions that you sent to me and I'm th- what I realized is um, there was two, there was two different versions of me. There was the me, like the sense of you was me not really being helped in, in any direction on how to create drums. It was basically the music I listened to and then me trying to do my thing to these. But once I started playing with people like M Ward and Elliot, they were songwriters and the song was, primary thing so for example that she and him record when i listen to it sometimes i i would i sometimes i played on songs and i'm like is that me matt really really um each morning we he'd play a reference song of, of some phil specter or some kind of music that he was saying like okay something something you know like this but it might be in like six eight and the song we're doing is a four four song but there's something that he's hearing in that that he wants in this uh and and i kind of got it but so i feel like um once i started working with good songwriters i just became very moldable you know as long as it wasn't beyond my abilities i was very receptive to please them do what they wanted for their song i no longer trusted i don't i didn't really like my decision so i was really open to learning this is how you put this is the drums we want on the song they aren't going to be you're not going to impress any drummers with this song so just get that out of your head because it's about the song and and probably the the lyrics the, the sing the singer the melodies it's not about the drums although you know they're an important building block but that's what happened after i left sense so i started playing with songwriters and i really started to uh, learn what kind of drums they used for their songs. Because I love to play the song. I don't care if it's just like four on the floor bass drum. If it's a song going and I'm playing the bass drum to it, I don't care if it's a, I don't care if it's a shaker. I feel like I feel the same like uh, connection, and I I love it. I, I I always think of it like I kind of I'm not a big surfer, but I used to like ride longboards. And I always thought of it like that, where those are the shredders on the shortboards and stuff. And I like the longboards. You just kind of enjoy the ride. You're not doing anything fancy necessarily. It's just um, it's just like being a part, being moved by by nature and enjoying the ride. Yeah, it's very. Uh, it's a huge weight off a drummer's shoulders when you become the kind of musician that you're describing. And I think a lot of drummers do go from that mid twenties look at me, look at me to like, yeah. oh shit, this is actually what music is. Um, so you were, you were talking about Ida. Is it Ida is the band you yeah. said? Yeah. 
was that a gradual shift from the drummer you were in Sensefield to then uh, the M Ward? Or like when you moved to Portland, did you play with a few bands and you were like, man, I'm still playing like the old Scott. Like how, how was that transition? Was it instantaneous? No, no, no. It, it wasn't really until I, I, so I lived in LA until 2001. That's when I moved to Portland. But in 2000, I got the gig with Elliot Smith. And that's where I went into like a real education. Like that guy, like playing those songs, getting inside those songs, seeing how they're made. That's where I got my education with Elliot. And then uh, there was a succession of, of other really great songwriters that I learned. But luckily, the Elliot, Elliot um, was happy to have me, you know, dig deep on the records and play it exactly as it was. He, he didn't necessarily want to deviate from the, the recordings where other people I played with they don't even know what's on the record they're like let's just whatever uh, oh if that's on the record I don't care if that's on the record it doesn't feel right now let's do it this way so I feel like that was a a really educational experience and you know just having so much respect for him it was just uh, it, 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 I took it real serious and I was really happy to shed that the skin of my former and, and be like, okay, I did that for better or worse. I want to be the guy that would play with Neil Young. I want to be the guy that would, I want to play the music that I love to listen to. It might not be like physically that amazing to do. It's just, it's just that I, I just, I think I just moved on. All right. So let's, let's hop into your five. So you gave me, uh, you did answer the five prompts. You gave me a few of them were, uh, multiple pr- uh, answers within each prompt. So I'm excited. So let's go to the first one. And it was a specific groove that completely changed the way you think about drums. And, and you sent me, where will I be by Emmylou Harris from the album wrecking ball. And through my research, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the, this track is Brian blade. So let's just play a little bit of it and then we can talk about it. Do a sexy little fade in here. All the streets are cracked and there's glass everywhere. And a baby stares out with motherless thing is I, I think there's so many drummers that probably love Brian Blade and rightfully so I uh, I got I learned about Brian's drumming from uh, Daniel and Law's records because you know Brian has this thing where there's some drummer definitely drummerly stuff but the, 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 com- the combination of the musicality and the technical abilities with Brian and it's just like so that song is basically led by that drum beat and just so musical and the sound of that snare, like the, I, I, I'm pretty sure that was a twenties black beauty. And now that I, I have a, a couple of them and 
those drums are, I think it is, hopefully it is, but it's there just magically. They just have the right around of ring. You can hear the ring and, and it muffle it out. And now, no big, no offense to Big Pat, because I love Big Pat. But, uh, yeah. This is Thanks for being on the show, doesn't... Scott. We're going to have to end it right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is what happens if you don't put one of those on. <laughs> yeah, if you don't put it on, you make an amazing record that influences a lot no, of drummers. No, no, no. Thanks, Scott. No. <laughs> Okay, so did you cut? Are we out of here? Yeah, we're, <laughs> we yeah I'm sorry. I've, I wasn't even recording. No, dude, that's. I mean, we're the we're the first to say it. it's not. In, I mean, we don't expect it to be in every situation. You don't want a big fat snare drum all the time, and that song uh, shines with that snare. So yeah, that was that was I think in some of the mid '90s, late '90s that that the, record came out. That was '95, actually. Okay, I, um, you know, and I remember it came out. I got it. Like instant, I'm like, okay, this is just that was the kind of music I was really into. The the sonically, the the way it sounded, the mood. Um, so I I I was living in L.A. and I saw her play that tour with Lenoir, and Brian was playing the drums because I think what happened is Brian only played a, maybe two shows or something with her, and then Brady came in and started playing, and you know I didn't know. Brian Brady, I didn't know that. I didn't know there were two people. I was like, oh, maybe, oh, I'd be like, this guy is his name, Brian Blade. And they're like, you mean Brady? I'm like, oh, yeah, Brady. I, so I, I didn't know. I was like, the, the drumming is very different, though. I, so, but I, it was confusing to me in the beginning. Uh, but the shows I saw uh, were with Brian, and I mean, I kind of wanted to stop playing drums. I, I know people. It's just this thing where something is just like so moving, and it wasn't that I compared myself, but it was just like what he's doing. I want to do so bad, but um, it's not like you learn that. That's who he is, and I, I was just like, I'm happy to like appreciate this as a spectator, and I don't want to be encumbered by my wanting to there was just always that thing i'd see drummers i want to be that way and so anyways brian was super inspiring but he was also kind of like all right someone's doing what i want wish i could do but he's doing it i mean i so uh so the world does doesn't need another person trying to do it he's he's just or something like that i don't know it was it but it was it was so inspirational he had this giant symbol maybe 26 and, and small 2012 14 Gretsch kit he, and and he would just when he whacked that symbol like like I'd never really seen anyone hit it it was just yeah that was why that that song got big because I it, it was like the full thing other drummers kind of have an effect sometimes but Brian really just made an impact yeah, I know what you mean about when you see a drummer and then you go behind the kit the next day because you're like, I'm inspired, and then everything just feels contrived, and you're like, this is n this is the worst I've ever played. Um, but I'm happy. You, I mean, you still had a career after this feeling you had, so you stuck through it. Way to go! <laughs> I remember I was trying to not people. I, I kept getting pulled back in. I mean, I could have said no, but. <laughs> all right so uh well i will say about brian blades when i first started uh a lot of drummers were choosing 
Stuart Copeland, John Bonham, Grohl. And I was like, okay, so this is what this is going to be. And the last probably three months, maybe it's just because I've been choosing different drummers or styles, but Brian Blade has been brought up so many times. He's like the new Dave Grohl in a way of what I assume people want to talk about. So I'm always happy. This song has not been talked about, um, but Brian Blade is, you know, he's he's one of those white whales for me um, to get on the show because I would love to see what the hell's going on in that genius of a brain. Hey, y'all, I wanted to, (laughs) I can't say, I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his, his, you know, where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum. And it was, it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful. And he actually let me use it on an Eve 6 tour and I didn't keep it and I regretted it ever since then just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time and I just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye so let's just move on to the next one, which is okay, your favorite okay. Phil choice moment from a certain record. And like I said last week, disclaimer, I know no one has a favorite, favorite Phil, but this is one that tickles your fancy. So the song is Like Suicide by Soundgarden from Super Unknown, and that is Matt Cameron on drums. Let me just play it. You said it's around 349, and then we can talk about it. Yeah, maybe he started around 340 because there's a couple okay. other fills. So was it the, was it the dome symbol? We just kind of doing the syncopated snare stuff. Is that what you were talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like anywhere you think he's gonna put something, he just doesn't put it. <laughs> like, what? I'm not a transcriber. I don't know what the. I don't. Does he ch- change time signature? Where? I don't know where the one is. I don't know where anything is on that. Where he's doing that one fill. It's like his fills. Like, I got into some Soundgarden stuff early on with Sensefield, and he was also. I, if you listen to my drumming in Sensefield. I'm a very poor imitation of, of what I 
of Matt Matt Cameron. I I I, I just I didn't know a lot about him or anything. I just hear the songs. I'm like, you know, he's filling all over the place. He, he's like any place you could put a fill, but it's never too much. It's it's just so musical and so, and the sound of those. I don't know that song too. It's a it's a, it's a little bit later in the in it's not the early stuff, but when I heard that, I just so good. Well, I mean. That first song I played from Sensefield, the feeling I got of like not knowing where the one is what you were feeling from this fill. So I would say you did accomplish the trying to be Matt Cameron subconsciously. Uh, and I don't <laughs> think it was a uh, watered down version. I think that that had the same effect on me. So, so way to go. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> have, you, ha- have you ever met Matt? I haven't. Oh, man. I, I I know enough people. He's he's one of those guys that's probably really great to meet. Mm. But sometimes you're like, I might like idolize his drumming so much it would be hard to like talk to him as a person. It's like uh, it's in the way. You're you're just a guy also, but I can't get over that the, the impact you've had on my life. So you know, Tom Waits. I I don't want to meet him. I'm oh yeah. To- <laughs> yeah. Um. That's me with this band called The Kills, Jamie Hintz. Right. And uh, he's also someone that I, and I actually used to, I'm going to call myself out if he ever listens to this, because I do want to have him on the podcast too. But I used to work at a restaurant and I waited on him all the time in Hollywood. And <laughs> it's just like, I'd always like get him that second glass of wine for free and stuff. And he was probably like, I think you know who I am, but you're, I never approached the subject of like, by the way, you're awesome. Bye. And because, uh, yeah, I didn't want to have the conversation as a fan, um, but I know what you mean. I know what you mean. So, yeah, let's go on to number number three. And there are a few for this one. So I'm excited. A record that hit you at just the right time in your life and represents a big piece of your artistry. So you did. I'll skip the first one for a second. But you did. You already talked about Gish and the Smashing Pumpkins, which is, of course, Jimmy. Um you did talk about their impact on you, but did you find that record when it first came out in 91 or were you already yeah. in? Okay. All right. Yeah. Sensual had just started too. And, and Sensual was kind of like this melodic and I was like, Oh wow. So again, I think like I was definitely like really receptive and inspired by what that, I mean, you know, Jimmy's amazing, but the songs that Jimmy got to, to put drums to it, it, it was a great. It was a was a song called Rhinos. What was the? There was a single that was played on the radio in in ninety one as well, and it was kind of. Um, is it is it from, from Gish? Yeah. Rhinoceros. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, rhinoceros. Yeah, I was I was gonna ask. Um, did you want to play a song from from that record just to kind of showcase a, a thing you really liked about his 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 drumming or, you know. Well, that- that song, you know, it was being played on in, in LA. There's a station called K Rock. Mm. Uh, they 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 were playing that song, and um, it was pretty unique. I remember like the sh- there was certain songs that would come on the radio, like the Sugar Cubes, uh, the Pixies. They would play these songs that were kind of like they, you know, they weren't like REM or they they weren't like boxing. They were kind of like abstract in a way, and. Um, but still a pop song. So that, that song led me to the record. And, 
you know, that sometimes the single is the worst song, but that one is a really great song, but the whole record was just so good. So, um, I remember I saw them also at the, I think at the Palladium and uh, yeah, just, just, just one of those bands that you're just like, okay, well, actually I could not do anything because the world has that. It's covered. It's <laughs> covered. Yeah. This seems like a theme here. Um, all right. Well, let me you let know, me. Play. You want to contribute? You don't want to be redundant. You yeah. know, I, already doing it. I, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. Uh, yeah. All right. So let's just play a little bit of rhinoceros. I haven't listened to that song for a while, but you see, the thing is, is he's also doing just slightly more than is necessary. It seems like the, later on, it might, it's like, just do what's necessary. But there's this period where drummers were still like, okay, if I could just get my, a little bit in there, just kind of, so, you know, throwing some extra eighth notes in, some like fills almost at the end of every phrase, <laughs> you know, like much more. So you could tell, like, a producer didn't chop him out. He's like a drummer making drummerly choices to the songs. Really, he made really good choices to me, mm-hmm. you know. But that song also it starts like just ramping up, and it's just, but drums go crazy. It's like, well, they don't go crazy. He's still just totally tasteful. But yeah, yeah, his 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 touch is is un, unmatched for sure. All right, let's go to the next one, which is so by Peter Gabriel in 1986. And there's a... What? Chronologically, these are not... Well, no, you actually did. No, no, you did, I think. Um, But uh, in... Well, kind of. Actually, you know what? You did not. (laughs) But you know (laughs) I know that I did skip this one at first because you already talked about Gish at at, at the beginning, so I wanted to make sure that we did that. But um, the first one you put down, which is so... and. There's a bunch of different drummers on this one. There's a uh, Jerry Murata, there's a uh, Ma- uh, Manu Kache, and on track seven, Stuart Copeland, or sorry, track one, Stuart Copeland is credited with playing the hi hats. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, he, can, he gets a gig just to throw some hi hats on something. <laughs> um, so, yeah, where were you when this hit you, and, and, and why is this uh, significant? I mean, I. This was right when I graduated high school. I, the way I learned to play drums was in my bedroom or in my garage with a record player that was right here, headphones like this. You know, the, the, the stereo I had wasn't good. They also had an eight track and a cassette. And, and this, I think I got this record. It was one of those ones that wasn't that fun to play to because there's so much personality to the drumming 
that that it's kind of more it's i, I kind of enjoyed listening to it more because mm. uh, especially manukache has you know i didn't i never put splashes in my set but you know he's just so expressive with with splashes and a lot of fills as well but it's very it's very like it's very um much uh his decision so i like i like to play the songs i like to play the songs uh acdc like rem you know even elvis costello even though pete's pretty also but so uh I I went and saw the so concert the tour in in '86 when they came through, and it was just another thing where he, the young the youngish drum I was still not what was I I was I was probably 19 then um, he 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 was like a drummer where it's like wow he's he's um, also making a lot of expressive decisions that that aren't getting I mean, I, drummers didn't get edited out so much back in the 70s and 80s. It seemed like once the 90s and producers started like, can you do a little bit less? Let's just loop that. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> let's just, uh, yeah. Yeah, we got it. You did two parts. That were good. We got enough. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, say, do I just look at the full day rate? Yeah. Loop it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyways, yeah. Manu and, and the, that album, Tony Levin also on on the bass. It was just Sinead O'Connor. Oh wow! Kate Bush. They were it's like just that whole connection. So that and that record just was also really unlike a lot of stuff that was on that. The Sledgehammer, the single, it was still in MTV days, and and the videos were also just bizarre and cool, really cool. Mm-hmm. So anyway, sorry to talk too much. No, no, no. Let's let, let, let's let's play Sledgehammer from that record. Where is there? All right, there you go. love it when this happens when i did not expect a song and i'm not discrediting or in any way poking fun of that song but i never thought that would be one of your choices it's really cool i mean just listening to it now you're like it's straight and it's swung mm. straight so it's like again and and um you know that song could get away with so little drums but yet he adds color. So I was just really inspired by a drummer that found a way to add color to a song without, without having like a spotlight put on him. Mm-hmm. It was kind of, he, he was just like, there was that, there was just that thing. Like, how can you subtly make the drums interesting without getting edited out? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, um, 
he was uh, he was a master at that. His drumming on that whole record is just like Peter Gabriel is so smart for having Manukachi play on that drum. Yeah, I'm mean, play I play on that record. Yeah, whenever I try and do that, channel that, like, oh, this is tasteful, but it's not in the way, I'll go listen in the control room, and it's just like, dude, shut the hell up, Ben. It's like all the wrong spots, you know? It's, it's Me chaos. Me too. That's what's, hap that's what's happened is, is I, I hear these people that do it, so while I try to do it, I listen, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to just play it simple because ugh, it's like the sound of my voice. I won't listen back to this because I'll be like, <laughs> Hey, can you let me edit that, Ben? I'll cut most of them. I'll just leave your questions in there. <laughs> well, dude, I always tell people I, I commiserate because if I, well, I say if you ever feel really good about who you are, like just inherently you're like, I'm a good person. I appreciate myself. Record yourself in a conversation once a week talking to people you admire. That'll bring you right back down. And that's, I mean, I have to edit myself for hours every week, which is somewhat unique. And, uh, uh, it's hectic, but all right. So let's move to uh, you, you brought them up before one of my favorite bands, Pixies. And I'm not sure if you meant to do this, this, this single, but you sent me the link to the gigantic River Euphrates single and David Lovering on drums. Is it Lovering? Lovering? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, one's French, one's German. Uh, it just depends. <laughs> but uh, all right. So yeah, which which song from this single, or was it just the whole, the whole, the whole? You thing? know, so that record came out again. K Rock played this song called Bone Machine. I think that was was it. Bone is that on the record? Bone Machine. I'm not good with titles. Surf of Rosa. Yeah, and then Bone Machine is the first one. Yeah. Okay. Well, that song was played on the radio on K Rock again. I was like, what the? Me and my sister, we bought tickets. We went to the Roxy, and we saw the Pixies, and I, we, I was like, front row. And uh, it, I, didn't, I didn't know who they were. What uh, It was bizarre, but mm. um, I still don't. They, they, they are, like, so unique and so mm. amazing. Uh, so it, that was, the, again, K-Rock was an amazing station, and, and they – in the early 80s especially too, but they, they, they still were able to put some songs in there that were not like, that, that Bone Machine uh, song is, I don't know who's like, there's the single, because <laughs> there's no single, I don't think there's any singles on that record, but they played that 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 on the radio and, and got my attention. Well, let's just, let's just play Bone Machine then. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, hey. What's up? Blue Glass Man. That's this is where it came from, probably. Oh, perfect. Oh my god every time i hear the pixies i just smile it's so rad what the hell are they talking about <laughs> i'm not a lyrics guy but i'm just like there's no way i can figure out what he's talking about <laughs> yeah yeah um 
Well, let's just move on to the next one. I mean, again, we could talk about Pixies forever, but uh, so you were saying Surfer Rosa, that, that record in general? Yeah, that record led me to what Come On Pilgrim, I guess, came out earlier, but that, that record just led me into the, like, you know, and the other thing is, is back then you listen, you get an album, you listen to the album, you like, it's like in your cassette deck, so every time you, you, you just like really get a relationship with an album and that and so the Pixies I, now it seems like singles. It's all about like a couple songs. It's not like a an album. I don't know if that's true, but I I don't really have the same experience with music as I did where I know every song and probably my favorite song is number nine or something. Yeah. You know? That's the other thing. The music business these days, it's like, how the hell do you have a career in the music? If you're, I mean, as a drummer, you, it's still kind of, but if you were trying to make it as a, an artist, I'm just, I, on the one hand, there's so many ways, but on, on the other hand, there used to just be kind of one way. You, you get played on the radio, you know, or MTV, but the MTV was only responsive stuff that had some kind of traction probably. So it was like the radio. Now there's just too many outlets. Well, and and I think about it like this, it's like in, 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 the, in the timeline of music, the ability to make quote unquote passive income, AKA recording your song and then having that be able to make you money is like in the timeline of like since antiquity, it's like such a small portion, but in the other portion, we were still live musicians and clubs, and 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 that was a huge part of a musician's uh, career. And so now we can't make money off recorded music. It's very seldom you go to a club and there's an actual live band. So it's like, it's tough. But yeah, as a drummer, paid for hire, that stuff is still still pretty good. But yeah, basically what you said. I don't know why I restated no, it in a probably less uh, intelligent way. <laughs> no, you probably stated it in a, a way that people can understand it <laughs> <laughs> well I have my, my little brain can understand it so but let's just go to and this is I love this record so much and unfortunately this drummer has since passed away so I won't be able to ever interview him but it's Alan Myers uh, for Freedom of Choice by Devo such a good record is there a certain song you want to play off this before we talk about it or just I mean uh, it's another one that's like Every song, kind of, but like uh, "Freedom of Choice" or "Gates of Steel" or um, uh, you pick. I, you can't go wrong on that record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's just go "Freedom of Choice." thing about alan is he he just holds it down and his 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 times to shine are when he does these elementary you know if 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 they shift the time signature he'll just do like two tom hits and that kind of introduces the next section but he's not 
doing anything crazy, but he is so good. And I know I'm kind of sad, you know, <laughs> hijacking your answer. No, but no. He, he is the epitome of that air drumming drummer. You know, once he's you know the, the records. Rudd, he's the Phil Rudd of new wave music. Sure, like, absolutely. <laughs> meat and potatoes, but maybe, maybe who knows where he's coming from. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, his influence. But that, 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 that song is just like him being straightforward. And even so, when the second he starts playing, you just want to start bobbing your head. He just knows how to get you in that, in that groove. Yeah, Diva always, their changes and stuff were so subtle. Uh, and it's not like he took every opportunity to, to put a, a drum riff or a hook or some kind of drum thing to, to signal the change. And he, if he did, they were usually very subtle. Yeah. Uh, and it was almost more about the sound of the drums and the, the um, I, I will say that uh, it's not on that album. It's on, it's um, his, his rendition of I can't get no satisfaction, like the stones, that mm. beat, it's just like, I'm, I'm just, I would just love to hear, like, how the hell did that become, I can't get no, like, did he have the beat and they're like, and it, he starts singing the stones to it, or did they, that, it's like, how did that song come to be a cover of a Rolling Stones song? <laughs> it is just the most bizarre, you know, but if you're going to cover something, like, make it your own, and, and that song is unrecognizable. Very, I mean, that song, I still, dap boom, tickets. I think that's how the downbeat is, dap boom, tickets, dap boom. But I think every time I show that to someone, I they have no idea where the one is, even if they're very talented musicians. And even because he kind of sings it in a weird way, too. Um, and it's funny, Gunnar Olsen, who has played with Bruce Springsteen, Big Data, uh, Pucifer, um, he, when he was with, and I think I can tell the story, but he was with Maynard, one of the first times he was rocking, uh, you know, playing with Pucifer and, and Maynard turned to him. He's like, satisfaction. And Gunnar had to be like, oh, and he had to play. And Maynard's like, okay, you can stay. Oh. It's kind of like his rite of passage for yeah. drummers. But, you do need to, there's a couple beats where you kind of have to have, you have to have them in your back pocket just to, for your own just for your own self-esteem. <laughs> yeah, like, Fool in the Rain is a nice little sound check song. Um, I mean, 50 Ways to Leave Your Love, you need to, you need to sit down and figure out that because there's so much subtlety. It's, it's, I, I, that song, I, that, that's actually the, I think in, it was probably the 77 or I don't know when that song came. I remember AM radio, I had, it was probably 75 or so. I, went, I don't know when that song came out, but I remember hearing that song on the radio and that's, I remember the drums. That's like probably the song that made me want to play drums, mm. which, uh, and it's just like that beat. Although, you know, I never became a, a drummer that, that's that good. The drums always drew me in. And I, that, so, yeah, Fool in the Rain, same thing, where it's just like, what? I don't, something's going on here that's like, I just need to like, uh, chum up next to this beat for a little while and the so like the the isolated tracks oh the, uh, in the rain yeah the way he counts it in and you're just it, it's so good 
Well, I, 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 if I think you might be re referencing that same YouTube video that I've heard, and he starts yeah. off with like messing up. He goes, "Fucking hell!" <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. good. So good. But uh, yeah, well, let's actually just play. Uh, can't get no. Uh, okay. Yeah. Satisfaction, uh, which is the song you were just talking about, and I have to. I can't fade this one in because it starts off right away. So, here we go. I'm already bobbing my head wrong. I'm just gonna give up. I hear the snare on the, on the downbeat. That boom. I think you can make a case for the one being just about on anyone else's beat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think he's, I'm like, how, how, how did he sing that? I don't know. How did he keep playing that beat? Like, there's so many things that would pull you, like, I can't play. If you keep doing that on the guitar, you're going to scream, just stop and just, <laughs> nobody's playing. That song actually broke up Devo for a good month, I'm assuming. <laughs> Yeah. Um, all right. So the next one, right. next prompt is actually going to be something that you are on. And I, uh -oh. I, I do want to hear. <laughs> oh, shit. I do <laughs> want to hear the story of this one. So this is a performance in parentheses, which you either played or witnessed that altered your musical course. And I love this song. And it's Pretty Ugly Before by Elliot Smith from his posthumous record uh, from a basement on the hill, which just by the way, that that album title from a basement on the hill in and of itself is such a an emotional title uh from 2004 so let me maybe play a little bit of it and then we can kind of talk about the backstory there is no night time. it's only a passing Drums sound amazing. Like they were recorded really well in that song. Yeah, I don't know who who the engineer was, but we recorded it on a tour in, in Boston at Fort Apache, and that's an amazing. So that's where the Pixies, a bunch of bands, recorded. Oh, it's, was that a live take, or was that? Did you guys? Yeah, overdub? yeah, yeah. He did. There was some. He did some vocal overdubs, but we tracked the song live. He did a guitar overdub. Uh, Sam did some backing vocals over the, so, but the, I mean, the, the reason I, you know, often I, I reference the song, it's the only song I 
recorded with Elliot. Um, um, and right when I got the, the gig to tour with Elliot, um, we started rehearsing and he had a couple new songs. This was one of the new songs he didn't have it fleshed out for a band. So we all put, we did our thing. Uh, the, and I, I, I feel lucky that, uh, I, cause when I listen to it, I feel like, okay, I didn't, I didn't, cause it was not long after I'd come from Sensefield. So I was like, I didn't, I, I, the good thing is I feel like I was, I almost treated it like I was a hired gun and I feel like I, the drums support the song mm. and you know, there's still like little things to where it's not like a loop. There's little variances in the, the kick pattern and the hi-hat for feel. But um, ultimately I feel like, you know, and then, yeah, the other thing is, like, you, you pick a moment to, like, put something. So I think I got one kind of feel that I was like, oh, I'm glad that that went down. It's not that anyone knows that I did it. I'm just like, oh, cool. It does have a little drummerly moment. It's not fancy, but it's it's a little something where you're like, oh, that's, that's, so I, Elliot was really into the drum. He was a great drummer. Um, he 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 always wanted the drums to kind of step out, but they also needed to fall in. So it's like that fine line of like, how do you, you know, that's like, I feel like that's been my, my like journey with drumming is like, how do you, how do you express yourself and be creative, but, but be a supporting cast member to, to the, to the whole, to the song. And I, 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 it's almost like I, I won't take credit. Cause I feel like Elliot let somehow I, I did just enough to where it's like it, it cause he very easily could have just muted out the drums and played his own drums to his song. He, he, but luckily he let mine stand. So, well, I think and, yeah. the, the drum part's amazing. I think if it did anything more than what it's doing, it would be distracting in a way. I mean, I think it's 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 the perfect part. So, um, so do, I mean, overall, you, you look back on that performance and you just, can you listen to that one and, and, and relax and be like, I think that's a, that was a good day in the life of Scott when it comes to well, the you decisions know, I, he made? I did, because when I listen to that song, I don't listen to the drums. And I think that's, the test it's like I got, i'm able to really just like listen to the song and the drums occasionally will like grab my attention but i i listen to the piano the interplay between his guitar and his vocals it's just it's just like the the song is just so well crafted and, and when you hear his solo how it's very busy but it's like it's just like it's just telling a story and uh yeah i so i feel lucky that that i was able to participate in something and the immature me didn't step out and try to it, somehow something channeled through me and, and didn't get edited out so, so I, I i feel like that's when i work with songwriters that's what i'm always hoping is like they can pull the 
the the drums that they want out of me because I don't I don't know, and I'll always try to start with less. Like, mm. Start with the basics, and it's easy to add stuff here or there. Um, anytime I've started with more, like you said, the, you go listen, you're like, okay, we should do it again. <laughs> Definitely not gonna. <laughs> you just like, yeah. So when you when you guys were listening back on the take. Did you just look at Elliot the whole time? Just kind of watch if you would like grimace or, I mean, how did you gauge what was, was he vocal about Scott in the second verse? Please don't do that, Phil. Or would he just, you'd kind of vibe off that. No, no, no. So we were on tour. We were playing that song every night. Mm. And when we went in, we just played it exactly as we were playing it. So there were no surprises. We, we had worked that song up. Uh, You know, luckily, I had gotten inside of all of his other songs. So by the time I had kind of composed a drum part to that song, I definitely knew like, don't step out. Don't, um, don't, don't try to call attention to yourself. Don't be a hero. (laughs) Don't be a hero. Totally. Nobody needs it. We don't need another hero. Yeah. No, my God. We have enough Marvel movies out there. Um, so the last one, because I know I'm taking up a lot of your time. I know you're a very, very busy guy. You actually have a business. So this is the, the sound of a, of a particular... Let me do that again. Uh, I can't talk. I only do it for a living. The sound of a particular record that helped mold your tuning style. And I'm going to see if I can do it. Viva Dixie Submarine Transmission Plot by Sparkle Horse. And again, I think it's Johnny Hot on the drums. So which... Uh, which song do you want to play from that record? Well, again, the, um, they had a single on the radio. It was um, off that record. It was, some, I think it's called Someday. Is it called Someday? Someday, number 14, Someday I Will Treat You Good. That, you see it? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, so this is the song. Yeah. All right, this is the song. Someday I will treat you good. record more oh that whole record drive into the, every record sparkle has put out there weren't that many did you guys ever play any shows with them or is there any kind of yeah pro- Sensefield tour did a little run of shows in in the uk with sparkle horse uh because we we were managed by uh someone who um managed them and they they we didn't fit the two bands but we got to play with them, and I, it was amazing. 
did you ever i mean was was he a gearhead uh that you guys got to geek out about this record specifically on what you got well you know how'd you reach how'd you achieve that sound did he help you out with that nope i never we never even talked to him. i don't think he liked our <laughs> i wouldn't have liked our band if i was <laughs> <laughs> it was a one-way uh admiration okay <laughs> i don't know johnny hot didn't drum on that too i've seen sparkle horse a few times and I, I, johnny hot i saw he was in this band called house of freaks i think okay. it was a two-piece band it was a guitarist and johnny and a drummer and um it was really just it was like you didn't need anybody else it was really good and mm-hmm. uh, really um so that's how i learned of him and then when he was drummed on this record i was like oh man because he was always that he kind of created musical supporting the song able to express himself and there's a fill in that song later on in that song that's like yeah he's a good drummer where is it in the song i can see if i can find it real quick the fill happens at about 306 okay it's it's just a little fill but so if you let it into it a little bit three three minutes you, yeah, you'll yeah. hear it, just a really quick little fill where you're like yeah cool sweet i get i love it You know, it's a little quicker than necessary, <laughs> but you're like, yes. <laughs> but a little bit, a little bit, a little Yeah, it's all about being unnecessary when you need to be. So, <laughs> yeah, sneak it in, sneak it in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just as long as the lead singers don't go like, what the heck? Then you're good yeah. to go. Especially if yeah. it's one take. Just make sure it's right after a vocal like run that they usually can't do if they nail that then you're like yeah. all right well they're not going to redo this take so i'm going to do my little thing now and the singer's listening and his head's listening like yeah i nailed that so he didn't even hear what you did because he's still see these are the real tricks of the trade this is how <laughs> you become an iconic drummer um <laughs> well that is your top five uh so again i don't want to keep you but are your plans to go on the road still or what what's your vibe for the for the future of playing live you know, I don't know. It's never, it's never up to me. So I don't know if um, I'll go on tour. I'm, I'm, you know, now I have two kids. I, I had kids later in life, I, and now I have two kids. And my like lust for the road, I still love it, but the need to go is now like kind of. I'm kind of torn. So if I don't go, it's okay. But if if I get called. I'll definitely go. I'm, I, I hope that my touring life career isn't over, but like I said, I'm probably okay if, if it is. I, I feel like I got my fill. I got. I was lucky. I got a lot of it in with a lot of people I respect. If people people listening, when Scott does go out again, uh, definitely definitely see him because you're a, you're a legend, dude. So. Um, <laughs> You are, man. I mean, listen to your records, dude. I mean, I think a lot of people, uh, I won't be surprised if, if soon uh, people will be bringing songs you've been on in a uh, example of, of good choices. So while Manu Kache is in his own little world, I think that just as many people would, uh, you know, say the same thing about you, man. Not just as many. Maybe one or two. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> no one knows who he is anymore. You know what I mean? It's all cyclical. So, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, uh, 
All right, Scott. Well, I will. I will let you go, man. But um, it's you don't it's, know. It's I'm secretly saying like, don't go, don't leave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, you have yeah. no plans today. <laughs> but uh, I'll talk to you soon, dude. And uh, yeah. genuinely, this was this was a lot of fun, man. So thank you. Well, likewise. Thanks for making it fun and not so painful. You're like a doctor, then I'm like, okay, I could probably do another doctor visit. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I will talk to you soon then. Okay. See you then. All right. See you, Scott. And that's the show. Be sure to subscribe. And if you're listening on a platform that allows for ratings or reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, which means the show will get better and bigger. And hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'd be an OG listener that could brag to all your friends. Um, anyways, also, why don't you go ahead and check out BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the socials. Just search for at BigFatSnareDrum and you will find it. This show is edited in part using Isotope RX-8 Audio Editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at Isotope.com. Bye.